one who has loved us so much, you have come to die for us in our place. And you were buried, and death had no hold on you, for you have triumphed over death. You have triumphed over my sin and the sin of the world. You have triumphed over our rebellion against you. And even when we were enemies of yours, you loved us to the end. And on the third day, you were raised victoriously. And you broke the back of sin and death. We honor you, Jesus. And we tell you there is no God like you. And there is no other name that we can speak or trust by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. So we say thank you to you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We honor you. We honor you. You are the king of MCC. And you are the king of this service right now. And we honor you. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, it's interesting, I've, <clears throat> I've been preparing this week on a message entitled Order in Worship, uh, and it's funny, uh, we can do all kinds of prep for messages, we can prep sermons, we can have a lot of thoughts and illustrations, but you know what brings the best order to worship? is when we see Jesus as he truly is. When we get low and he gets to be king. Over our songs, over our messages, <laughs> over our structures. Jesus, you are good. I ask that you continue to give us eyes to see you. Amen. As a, as a church leadership, uh, at the end of the summer, um, the elders got together and we were discerning what is, what is the Father saying to us as a church? Like, where are we headed in this next season? And the 
primary large umbrella item was a phrase that, that we're using, which is show us your or show us who you are. That the Father is asking MCC to be driven by a prayer to the Father that says, We want to see you. We want to know who you are. We want to experience you. We want to live our lives uh, according to the way you are. And what's thrilling about that is we are seeing the Spirit do that in our midst. (laughs) For there is a, a growing hunger and desire for Jesus among us. So I'm thrilled by that and encouraged. And I ask for Jesus, I say, more, 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 more. Come more. Give a greater hunger to this church. Give a greater hunger to our leaders. Give a greater hunger to our congregation. May we not be fat on the world. But may we be hungry for you, Jesus. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as one of the pastors here. And, uh, had a little extended prayer time there before I get into my message. Um, thank you for being here. If you would turn into your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. We are continuing in our series on spiritual gifts. And um, we started this series back in September. We've been moving through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and uh, we're finishing 12, 13, and 14 today, Uh, so we will have covered what Paul says to the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts in these three chapters. We will have covered it up to this point, and then next week, uh, we're going to jump into the book of Ephesians. There are spiritual gifts mentioned Ephesians in Ephesians as well. So Dennis is going to pick that up and kick us off. So it's the same series, but it kind of has like a little bit of a, we're kind of coming to an end of one portion, uh, almost like, you know, uh, if you have a, a trilogy of movies, it's almost like the first movie is kind of coming to a close, and then we're going on into the second movie. And speaking of movies, does everybody know that the 20th anniversary of the Fellowship of the Ring, the movie by Peter Jackson, is next week, the 20th anniversary. Isn't that awesome? And for many of us, maybe for me specifically, it makes me feel really old that that's 20 years ago. I mentioned that to Dennis, and Dennis was like, yeah, but Star Wars was like 45 years ago or whatever. He goes, imagine when you get to there. I was like, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, But as, you know, for my family, in honor of the 20th anniversary, we're going to be watching a marathon uh, starting next weekend of... uh, the Peter Jackson movies, um, so excited about that. You may say, man, that's so cheesy, Jamie, that you're going to bring up Lord of the Rings and a message. You know, we're just trying to focus on the Lord. There is a tie. Uh, it's interesting. The first movie is called Fellowship of the Ring, and every great story, if you notice, there, there, there is a hero, and but the hero always has a team around them. You notice this? 
in great stories. And even great stories that have captured the imagination of our current culture right now, uh, like superhero movies, what has drawn such attention is the fact that there'll be a team of superheroes working together, right? Like the Avengers. And in Fellowship of the Ring, there's a fascinating uh, moment where uh, Lady Galadriel has met this fellowship, and she gives each of them gifts. Y'all know this? Remember this? She gives each of the members of the fellowship gifts. And so interesting that those gifts are exactly what they need on their journey as a team. And even though things happen, things get a little tense in that team, that team has to work together to accomplish their mission. And it is very much what Paul is saying to the church, that we actually need each other. And the Spirit of the living God has actually gifted us individually, uniquely, with gifts that if we don't use them, the entire team suffers. So I, I just want to say to you right now, if you are not using your gifts here and in your spheres of influence, the kingdom of God is less than it could be. MCC, for, for members of this family, when we are not using our gifts and actively using them, MCC is less than she could be. And God has chosen to do it that way. So that is what Paul has been trying to say and trying to communicate throughout these chapters. Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. And here we are in chapter 14 at the end. And he's kind of summing up everything. Everything that I've been saying, I want to sum it up and give some practical examples. So here's the outline of the messages. We're going to walk through verses 26 to 40. Here's the outline of the message. Uh, first, we're going to talk about his instructions on worship. That's verses 26 to 33. It should be the next. There it is. Instructions on worship, verses 26 to 33. Then it's interesting, Paul makes us a, a further application. He begins to say some things about women in worship. And if you notice a couple weeks ago when I read through this passage, I read through that and I said, hey, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that passage. I'm going to talk about it today. That's verses 34 and 35. Then he makes a final appeal, final, a final summary, verses um, 36 to 40. And then I want to conclude with some, um, some conclusions based off of these uh, several weeks that we've been walking through the text. So that's our game plan for today. Uh, instructions on worship, women in worship, final appeal, and then to make some conclusions and then we'll go from there. Does that sound good? Okay, let's jump into the text. 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 26. What we're going to see here is that Paul has been talking, he's been doing some teaching about prophecy and tongues specifically. He gets to verse 26, and he begins to, like every good preacher, he's like, okay, let's, let's apply this. What would this look like? I've, I've, I've taught a lot of things, but what would this look like in a congregation, what does your worship need to look like and feel like? What are some things, Corinthian church, that you've been doing that are counterproductive uh, to the building up of this church family? And let me give you some instructions in this area. So Paul sets forth his main principle for worship in verse 26. He says, What then, brothers and sisters, 
When you come together, when you gather together, each, everybody say each. Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And here's the principle. Let all things be done for building up. That's his principle for worship. Let, let everything that, if you're going to gather together as a church family, everything that happens is to be for the building up of the body, to build up, to encourage. That's his main principle. And what he's about to do is he's going to then take three issues or three situations and apply those three situations to this principle. He uses the issue of prophecy, of tongues first, then prophecy, then a specific situation that's happening with regarding women in this congregation. I, I want you to see that. So the principle is, when you gathered, let everything be done for building up, and then he's going to go from there, starting in verse 27, he's going to talk about three things. One, the gift of tongues. Two, the gift of prophecy. And three, a situation with women in the church. And he's applying this principle to those three areas. So I'm trying to help you like see what he's doing in the text as we walk through it. So here we go. Let's read. Verse 26. What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church, and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Do you see silence happening twice? Have you already seen that? It's interesting. He's, he's giving instructions about being silent for the sake of building up an order. It's important that you get that. Verse 30 again. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as it is in all the churches of the saints. So let's look at this text. He says, what then, brothers and sisters? That's a, a way of saying, after all I've said in chapters 12 and 13, what then? What, what are we going to do about this now? He says, what then? Based off of all of this, I've been talking about intelligibility. Like, don't be rattling off in tongues when nobody can understand what you're saying. I'm, I've been hitting on these things. So what then? How will we proceed in this way? He says, each one, so everybody, that's men, women, children, everybody in the family comes and brings something to the gathering. Each one. And then he begins to list these things. A hymn, which is some sort of song of praise, some sort of song to God oftentimes associated with Jesus specifically. For instance, the Christ hymn in Philippians 2 is considered a hymn from the early church. So when everyone gets together, one brings a hymn, one brings a lesson, some sort of teaching or sermon, very similar to what I'm doing right now, a lesson. A revelation, which we talked about when we were talking about prophecy, is when, when God brings something to mind, revelation has come to us. So he's describing a situation where there's enough freedom going along that if, some, if God drops something into mind for someone, they bring that as an offering to the corporate body to share. So he says, a revelation, a tongue, we looked at that um, a couple of weeks ago, actually 
was it last week? Two weeks ago. Uh, Dinesh preached through this. is the gift of tongues, to speak in a language that the speaker does not understand, does not know. There's interpretation, which is to interpret that tongue. So if it's a language that everyone doesn't know, we need to understand what is actually being said here. Some sort of interpretation. And then he says, let all things be done for building up. Now, it's interesting, all throughout this, and we haven't really verbalized this explicitly, but in all the epistles, and certainly this epistle, these are letters from the Apostle Paul writing to people, and he's addressing specific things, right? And sometimes we have to kind of fill in the gaps on, like, what's he saying here? You know what I'm saying? Like, imagine if I texted something to Jess, and then 2,000 years later, people are reading that text in a different language, and they don't know the context of Southwest Ohio. You all understand what I'm saying? Like, if I text something to Jess, like something like this, sick them bears, right? <laughs> like, watch out for bears. They're going to get your Sooners, right, Kevin? Like, if, if I texted that to Jess, And then, yeah, I'll be sleeping on the couch. 2,000 years later, in a different culture, in a different language, can you imagine somebody that looks at the text between, not that, you know, they're going to want my text, but you know what I'm saying, that they grab, my, they grab the text and they go, okay, sick them, sick them. Like they have no concept of collegiate football. They have no concept of the Big 12 champions, Baylor Bears. They have no concept of these things, Right? And they look at them and they go, sick them. They're like, okay, sick, sick, sick. It sounds like the word for infirmity. Oh, infirmity, infirmity. Sounds like, okay, okay, this comes from the root of infirmity. So he's saying that there's going to be sick bears. There's, there's going to be sick bears. going to be sick bears in southwest Ohio. There's going to be an, can you, can you see how this goes? People start to come up with all kinds of, because they don't know the context. Oh, there's going to, obviously in the year 2021, there was an infestation of sick bears in uh, southwest Ohio. It's just a dark season. It was a dark season. And this husband, I mean, he's just texting to his wife, like, watch out. Watch out for those sick bears in southwest Ohio. The truth of the matter is, when I send a text, and when Paul writes a letter to Corinth, he's not explaining all of the things, because they already know all the things. The church in Corinth knows exactly what Paul is saying when he writes these words. And so for us, we've got to do a little bit of contextual work to fill in some of these gaps. So one of the gaps is you can see from the way he's, um, he's attacking tongues, we can fill in the gaps there to say it seems like something is happening with tongues and with prophecy. Because remember he says, let two or three, but that's it. And then make sure you interpret so to fill in the gaps, you could kind of see a situation where people are coming in, speaking in tongues for like 30 minutes, and then another one runs up and goes, oh, you think you're that good because you have that gift? Here we go. And then they're speaking in tongues. And then another one gets jealous and comes up, hey, 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 I got this gift too. I'm, I'm pretty important. You, you see what I'm saying? And then you can see how Paul would say, hey. Let two or three, and then inter interpret these things. Stop being wild. Stop being out of order 
in your service. Same thing with prophecy. He says, let two or three prophets speak, but then you need to test it. And you can see a scenario where individuals would walk up and be like, thus saith the Lord. And then they say something. And everyone's like, I don't think that's from Jesus. He's like, no, it is because I'm speaking for, you see, <laughs> you can see this scenarios playing out. It says what's important is that we're not speaking in tongues to make ourselves look good, but to build up the body. That's why it needs to be interpreted so people can understand what's being said. And we're not prophesying in such a way that implies that we're the only ones that get to hear from God and no one else can be built up or encouraged. It needs to be weighed. It needs to be tested. So I'm, I'm hoping that you're, you're seeing this thing happening. And I'm, I'm making that because it's going to set us up for later in verses 34 and 35. Okay, so he continues on. And he, gives, he begins to address these situations. He starts with tongues. 27, verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So he speaks very specifically about those who are, have the gift of tongues in this community. He says, hey, if there's no one there to interpret, then you need to be silent. Because what's more important is the building of the church, not that you get to speak in tongues. Does that make sense? That's the value. So it's an interesting balance that he's playing with. Because he's playing with freedom, which is each one of you comes and brings something. He's playing with freedom and order and structure at the same time. He's like, because if I say, let's, do, let's go freedom, everybody brings whatever. Well, if everyone just stands up and just starts saying a bunch of stuff, then we, we're not built up because we don't know what everyone's saying. So he's, he's, he's got this dynamic of freedom. Everyone comes, brings something, and share. And order, which is, hey, the tongues people are getting a little bit crazy, so let's just do two or three, and let's interpret it. And the prophets, it's a little bit much, and they're not letting anyone test their prophecies. Let's let two or three, and then let's test it. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And so when we go to apply something like this, we have to ask ourselves, Okay, you apply a text like that, instructions on worship. We've got to ask a couple of questions about our context. Is our church prone to too much freedom or too much order? You see, sometimes this text gets preached in such a way. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, that in congregations like ours, where we already value order and structure, we already value people not standing up and screaming in tongues. We already value these things. Sometimes it's difficult for us to apply a text like that. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? So it could be, I'm just going to submit this to us, that the, the heavier application for us as a church family is less on the order, the orderliness of the service, and more on everybody gets to play and be involved. Are y'all hearing that? Because when you come to the text, God is doing all kinds of things to apply text to individuals and churches. And there are some churches that need to hear the order piece and be pushed on that. And there are some churches, I would submit ours, that needs to be pushed on the other side, which is, is there a freedom for everybody to be involved when we gather. Now, 
That being said, MCC, we, we actually do have opportunities and places. For instance, Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, we've been practicing this. Where there's been a lot of, there's open mic, there's open freedom for people to share. And in fact, this last Wednesday, we had um, tongues spoken, actually four tongues spoken and interpreted last Wednesday night. Because, because we're trying to obey the text. Mean, that's what he said to do. So we're trying to obey the text. Um, another spot, small groups. And small groups typically would resemble what Paul is describing here, which is home churches um, in Corinth. Small groups would approximate much more what Paul is describing here. A family environment, we're eating together. And then people are, are coming and sharing, coming and bringing their gifts so I, w- I want to I push, yes, order and worship. Yes, that is true. But for our church family, it's almost like we need to push more on, is there enough freedom and space when we gather together that people are able to share beyond just standing here? So the elders are actually processing through that. Like, what does that look like? And, and we don't really have any answers yet, necessarily. We know there's spots on Wednesday nights. We know that small groups can, can do that. But we're, we're asking the question, for Sunday morning gatherings, do we need to create space? And that's an open question at this point. We're meeting uh, in two Mondays to discuss that and just talk through, do we need to make more space to open up space for this environment? Now, what I will say is this. Right now, everybody in this room has the freedom and we, we haven't really articulated this, but I want to articulate it now. Everybody here in this room on a Sunday morning has the freedom to come to Dennis or myself or to Raz, the three of us, and say, I think God is saying this for today. You all have the freedom to do that. And one of the three of us will be sitting right here. So you have that freedom. I, I want to give permission. You gather on a Sunday morning, you see one of the three of us sitting right here, just to come up, tap on the shoulder. In fact, that, that already happened. Where's Julie? Julie. We're going we're gonna to do that here in a second. Julie came up to me, tapped my shoulder, shared something with me, that was it. So that is already on the table. So I, I just want everybody to know that. And, and, and just to push a little bit more, to ask yourself individually, when you think about gathering with the body that is Marymount Community Church, when you're getting into the car, you're, you're coming to a place to gather, whether it's a small group Wednesday night, but specifically Sunday morning, in your mind, do, your, do you see yourself as a contributor or a consumer? I think that's the heart of what Paul is saying is that when we gather, there should be a sense that if there's 100 people in the room, there are 100 offerings and contributions being brought. And, and by the way, I'm not just talking about money when I say offering. I'm talking about an offering of a lesson or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation or a prophecy. Does that make sense? So I want to encourage us. And it could be that because of the nature of, of Western church, where it's very platform-centered, it could be that our structures have implied to you guys, be consumers only. <laughs> That's entirely possible. In fact, I, th- I think it's very possible. 
As leaders, we have to say we got to make space for everyone. And as members, I'm encouraging you to think of yourself as a contributor, not a consumer of religious goods on Sunday mornings. That when I show up, whether it's small group, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, I know Jamie's got a plan, Dennis has got a plan, Raz has got a plan, things are happening. But when I show up, the Spirit of the living God has given me something to build up the body. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. All right, we're going to do something fun. She doesn't know that I'm going to ask her up here. But I saw her, and I felt like the Lord said that she needed to share. Uh, But Jackie Purcell, will you come up here for a second? This is going to be super fun. I'm so excited about this. Right here, right here, right here. Here's a microphone. She she literally knows nothing about what I'm about to ask her. Um, Jackie, I want you to share. You said something to me about a posture that you have about Sunday mornings. Like you'll ask the Father for specific things about when you enter into the sanctuary. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Like asking the Lord to speak to people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that you're... I remember Jackie describing scenarios where when she's coming to church, she's asking the Lord, who can I bless? So just share a little bit about that, just as you feel led. Okay, yeah, so I think um, I uh, definitely had years and years of coming to church and being a consumer and sitting my butt in a seat and just taking, taking, taking. And I had somebody disciple me for years, and they really shared with me that in not only church settings, but really any, any environment I'm in, a grocery store, a movie theater, a retail shop, going in and saying, what can I give? And Father, is there anybody here that you want to highlight to me that you have a word for, a word of encouragement, a prophetic gifting, something prophetic word, does somebody here need healed? Uh, and just somebody... Um, does somebody need to experience your love today, Father? Mm-hmm. And then you've come on Sunday mornings and shared with people, right? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have. See, that wasn't painful, right? Awesome. <laughs> we can still be friends after this, right? She's like, nope. Um, <laughs> But that's, that's the kind of thing, when, when Jackie mentioned that, and she mentioned that maybe, I don't know, a month ago or so, and it just got me thinking, was like, what would it look like if everybody in this church family, on the drive up, or if you're walking to church, you're actively asking Jesus, Jesus, who do you want to bless through me today? And then when you, walk into, when you walk into the building with the gathered body of Christ, you're intentionally looking for who the Father is targeting. I want, I want to encourage and exhort you to do this. How can I speak in such a way? What is the Father saying through me to someone else to bless and build up? There's some sort of tangible a service that I can do that builds up this person or this body. Rather than thinking, it's Sunday morning, so this is when I come and sit and receive. Which is good. 
We can all receive. But imagine if we were also giving and receiving. Then all of us would be receiving times 100. Is it, like, it's actually utilitarian. Like, if you actually want to receive the most, then come and we're all ready to give. We will give 100 times more if there's 100 of us in the room. So I want to encourage and exhort that when you come to a small group, you come to Wednesday night, come on Sunday morning, that you're on the lookout for how Jesus wants to move through you to build the church. Okay. So Paul's main point, when you gather together, each one is bringing something and let everything be done for building up. And then he addresses the gift of tongues. Make sure it's interpreted so people can be built up and they understand. With prophecy, make sure it's weighed and tested so that we're sure this is the Lord speaking, so that we're being built up and it's not some sort of arrogant show prophet thing. And then he addresses the third issue, and that's our second point that we're looking at, which is women. Women in worship. Let's look at verses 34 and 35. Look what Paul says. Remember, remember his agenda. He's addressing orderliness and building up the church. Verse 34. It says, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, a lot of different people throughout the history of the church have tried to interpret this passage and figure out what exactly is Paul saying. And the primary problem, yeah, the primary problem is that if we take the text at face value, it looks like what Paul is saying is that literally there should be no vocalization, there should be complete silence by all women in every church at all times. That's what it looks like. When we look at the text, that's what it looks like. The problem with that is, if Paul means that complete silence in every church, at all times. If Paul means that, Paul is already contradicting himself in this chapter. He is also contradicting explicitly, because you could say, well, he doesn't say anything about men or women in this chapter other than here. That is true. But he explicitly contradicts himself in chapter 11. So in chapter 11, this is um, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 4 and 5. He's discussing another cultural artifact, which is the issue of women wearing head coverings. This is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 4 to 5. He says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So did you see what he just said? He 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 grants the fact that there are females that are praying and prophesying. That's what he said in that text. You saw it? He's, he's making a com comment about social clothes, the social acceptability of what we're wearing when we gather. I'm making, a contextual, I'm making a contextual leap to 2021 Southwest Ohio. He's talking about head coverings. For our culture, that would be wearing appropriate clothing when we gather. And he says, hey, when ladies are praying or prophesying, they need to be dressed in appropriate clothes, is what he just said. So how can they pray and prophesy, which, by the way, are verbal things? And then he turns around 
at the end of chapter 14, it says complete silence. So you can see the tension that we have here. He must not be saying all women in all churches must be completely silent. He can't be saying that or he would contradict himself in chapter 11 and all throughout chapters 12, 13, and the beginning of 14. Is that, is that clear? Does that make sense? Still doesn't resolve what he's saying, but I just want to lay the groundwork for that. So what then could he be talking about here? Some people have said a couple of things. Some people say, well, this is not original Paul, um, so we don't, we don't need to pay attention to it. I, I, that's a little much for me. There are textual issues in some manuscripts. These verses go at the end of, of verse 40, and some of them, they're right where we have them in verse 34, right after verse 33. So there's textual issues, so people try to get around that and try to you know, discount God's word by saying, well, that's not Paul, so we should just ignore it. I don't think we can play that game. Two, some people say, well, it should be complete silence. I know he said this in chapter 14. I know he said it in chapter 11. It should be complete silence. And there are congregations, there are Christian communities that do this. There's a hat that needs to be worn and complete silence. I don't agree with that interpretation based off of what I've said from these two chapters. And oh, by the way, as a church family, we don't hold that interpretation either. Another option could be, well, maybe he's talking about women um, prophesying or judging the prophecies because he had just got done talking about prophecy. But it's interesting, as a solution to all this, he says they should go home and ask their husbands at home, which is a strange thing to say if it's about prophecy because he said you all may prophesy, (laughs) right? So it would be a strange thing to say that you need to go home and ask questions about something that everybody would be able to do. You all may prophesy. And it's entirely possible that you have a husband that doesn't have prophetic gifts and a wife who does. (laughs) So how would it help her, if she's gifted in prophecy, to ask her husband something that he may not have that gift, may not understand it? So I don't really think that that really works. So another, an interpretation that I'm holding to is that there, there must be some sort of specific thing that's happening in this church that's causing issues here. Again, issues of disorder and not building up the church. So if you're interested in studying more on this, I want to uh, commend a book to you. Uh, by, I, don't, I don't agree with everything in the book, but it's a really helpful text. Looking at background stuff, it's by Craig Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R, called Paul, Women, and Wives. It'll be a very, very helpful text. Just to understand a little bit of the background of what's happening uh, in this part of the world. So he says, keep silent. I'm picking up what Keener has said. This is very helpful. In the Greco-Roman world and in Corinth specifically, there was a a process of oratory that was going on. And in this culture, a lecturer would get up, a philosopher would get up and begin to speak. And in this day, in the public setting and in church environments, when that orator would begin to speak, it was common for people to shout out questions to the orator. So someone would be lecturing, giving information, and it was a common practice for a little bit of fun debate to happen. Somebody ask a question, and the order would respond. Now, I've been in environments, in our, by the way, here, we do question and answer time, but typically we don't have a sermon where people are shouting out stuff at the preacher while they're preaching, right? In fact, I think in our culture, we'd be a little bit like, Ugh, that feels a little bit out of order, unless we're like, hey, does anybody have any questions? Let's go. And then it would be in order. But in this culture, I've, I've been in academic settings where, uh, a lecturer will come and speak, <laughs> and uh, you got the guy that's like full of himself, 
I know you're surprised by that in academic settings, that there be people that are full of themselves. Um, and he gets up, because lecturer has just given uh, this lecture, and he gets up, and he begins to pontificate about how smart he is, and then never asks a question, right? And then sits down, and the lecturer is like, what? what? Are, is there a question in there? Because it's not like you just talked to me for five minutes. The other thing that happens in some academic settings, and some of you have experienced this, the teacher says something, and then somebody asks a question. Have you ever had that person who asks a question that refers to something the teacher said 15 minutes ago? Has anybody ever had that experience? And you're sitting there, you're like, what is wrong with that person? Why are they? We, we already covered that. Or you got the person that asks a question that is so uninformed that everyone goes, oh, my gosh. Can you believe they're asking this question? I can't believe it. And, it, and it, it creates a little bit of a sense of like, stop talking. Like, stick, like, if you don't know what's happening, stop talking. Because it's making it awkward in the room. Someone's talking about one issue. We've already addressed something else, and that, that thing gets addressed again. So at Greco-Roman times and in Corinth, this would regularly happen. It sounds like it's also happening in Corinth, in the churches where someone's teaching and preaching, and people are asking out questions, and it's completely appropriate. Now, here's what Keener says. It's very fascinating. In this culture, women were not educated, and they were not trained in this sort of debate. Now, to say they were not educated is maybe a little bit overstatement. There was some education for females, but not in the same way that there was for men. So you can imagine the situation. Both in, and Jewish culture is the same way. Uh, men were trained in Torah far more than women were in this culture. So you can see a scenario where someone is, is lecturing and speaking about the things of God, and you've got half the group has been trained in Torah and knows what's going on and is able to ask questions, and there's not like a weird feeling going on. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then you've got others who have not been trained. They don't even know how to do this thing and are just asking questions that are super awkward, not, not in the track of what the lecturer is talking about, and uninformed, uneducated, uninformed questions. Now you say, well, Jamie, how do you get that? Well, he literally says, if there's anything that they want to learn, let them ask their questions. He, Paul is saying that. Let them ask their questions at home. So can you all see that scenario at play? It's, it's creating disorder. If someone's asking an uneducated an uninformed question in the midst of a lecture where people are trying to learn and trying to grow, and it's an issue of order. So when we look at this text, Keener says this, super helpful. Because when Paul suggests that husbands should teach their wives at home, his point is not to belittle women's ability to learn. To the contrary, Paul is advocating the most progressive view of his day Despite the possibility that she is less educated than himself, the husband should recognize his wife's intellectual capability and therefore make himself responsible for her education so they can discuss intellectual issues together. I mean, there are people who wrote about women in this time period. They're like, why would we teach them? Like, they literally can't understand this stuff. Now, obviously, that's a backwards thing, and it's, it's not helpful. But can you see an environment where Paul says, actually, they can learn. Go home and, and talk through it. Hubby's going to Torah class. He's learning this stuff. 
she needs to learn as well. She doesn't have a structure right now where she can learn. This a short-term solution, this is a great short-term solution to learn. Does that make sense? I, I know it feels weird in our culture because we've got ladies running around with PhDs. And you got guys who don't know much of anything. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying all the time. But it's a completely different culture than here. He goes on. Paul's point is that those who do not know the Bible very well should not set the pace for learning in the Christian congregation. They should instead receive private attention to catch them up to the basics of Christian instruction that the rest of the congregation already knows. In Corinth, the issue had come to a head with uneducated women interrupting the Scripture exposition with questions. Paul suggested a short-range and a long-range solution to the problem in his instructions on how to bring order back to the Corinthians church services. The short-range solution was that women were to stop interrupting the service, and the long-range solution was that they were to learn the knowledge that they had been lacking. So we got to ask the question, okay, how do we apply this text in our culture, right, in our church? How would you apply this text? Well, I would say, if male or female, if you're coming in and we're, and, and it's hard to even apply this because we don't have this environment where people are asking questions in the middle of a, of a message time. But I will say this, if you come in and you're asking a question and people come to you and say, hey man, let, let, let me pull you aside and explain some things to you, then I would say be humble and receive that, right? But as a church family, we are intentionally having spots where we have question and answers. And neither Dennis or I are going to sit there and go, you shouldn't ask that question. Because we're actually asking for the questions and we're functioning in an environment that's very different than this. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm trying to navigate this in a way that's helpful and applicable for us as a church family. Last thing that I want to say, because I was, I was talking to Jess about this. And I just want to say, like, as an elder, as a pastor, as a, as a church leader. I grieve the fact that many women have experienced this verse and have felt muzzled. I grieve that. I don't think it's right. Especially when we're thinking about context here. So I grieve that for you and with you. And as, a, as a, a leader here, I want to tell you that you have permission to speak. That is, it is important that your voices are heard. It's important that the gift of prophecy is released among the female members of our church. That it's important that half of the voices in our church family are not muzzled. And something that, you know, I, it, it's hard for me to completely understand because of my positions in churches. Um, I acknowledge the fact that the enemy has done damage to a lot of our ladies. And implying that if you speak, you are somehow disobeying the command of God. And I want to say to you, you are not. So I grieve with you. 
For those of you that are grieving in that way, I grieve with you. And you have permission here in this space to speak, to minister, and to let your voice be heard. Okay? All right. Okay. Third point. Paul makes his final appeal. We'll do this quickly. It's a summation of what we've been saying. Paul says in verse 36, to sum up, it says, was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So Paul is understanding this letter is the actual commands of God. They are the word of God. And he's going to call out the prophets and other leaders that think, well, I'm hearing from God, so I can, I can discredit what Paul is saying. Well, Paul's saying, no, what I'm saying is like canon scripture that all your prophecies would come under. That's what he's saying. Which in our context would be, all prophetic words must yield to the word of God, the scriptures. Okay, that, that's how we apply it in our world, in our context. Uh, verse 38, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. It says, I'm the apostle that's giving actual scripture texts, like canon authoritative scriptures to you. And then he says, verse 39, to sum up, so my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy. So do you see the entire chapter 14 is framed by earnestly desire? Do you see that? Verse 1 and verse 39 and 40. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but in all things, but all things should be done decently and in order. So I just want to bring up again what we've been saying, which is Paul is saying to earnestly desire prophecy. The, the chapter, verse 1 and the end of the, of the chapter are saying the exact same thing. Earnestly desire to prophesy. Pursue prophecy. He's affirming this gift as a priority gift in the church. Why? Because it builds up the church. And then he says, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now, this is a challenging text for many of us. Uh, every church I've been a part of, though they say, I believe in the word, I'm going to obey the word. Every church I've been a part of, in some ways, has forbidden speaking in tongues. Because it's weird. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, maybe not consciously, but like, there's, this, there's never any space, there's never any opportunity. So it's, it's effectively forbidding this from happening. I just want to push on us. The Bible says that we are not to forbid tongue speech in our gathering. And it's funny, the verb to forbid, there's a wide gap between, <laughs> some people hear that and they're like, well, I don't forbid it. But I'm not welcoming it either, right? <laughs> there. Paul is saying this is a good gift that needs to be in the church. He said, when you gather, each one has a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. He's saying this is a good gift. It should be a part of our church family and our gatherings. So earnestly desire prophecy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. So I want to close with an opportunity for us to just pray together. To just pray and be together. And as, a, as, a, um, as an effort to obey Scripture and model what we're doing, um, Julie actually came up to me during worship 
um, because I really didn't know what, how we were supposed to end a message like this, end a service like this. It's not really talking about a specific spiritual gift. I don't really know how we're supposed to end it, and I had zero understanding of how we're going to end the service, which makes me nervous, but the Lord's doing that. We're leading open-handed. Um, and then Julie came up to me as I'm worshiping. She just tapped me on the shoulder. I said, she goes, I think I have a tongue to share. Okay. So I'm going to invite Julie to come up, and we're going to obey the word. So when, when everyone gathers, we're bringing something. Uh, we're, I'm going to ask Julie to share. Come on up, come on up here. I'm going to ask Julie to share. And then we're just going to take a few moments, and Paul's going to play. Uh, and we're going to just interpret. So we're going to take a few moments to interpret and see what the Lord has to say. Just gratitude uh, for this church body and just what um, everybody has done this week in the last two weeks. Mm that we've been sick and there's so, been such an outpour of love and uh, food and just so much kindness uh, given to us. The elders came over and, and prayed for us and um, I was overcome by the love in this church. And um, so out of that, I just started worshiping God and, and it was the only expression I could give to how I felt. Um, so I was worshiping God and I was just thanking him for that. And I, I just really spent some time worshiping. And, and so out of that, I felt like the Lord said, um, share a tongue this morning. And I, I knew that it was God because I didn't want to do it. And that's the first, the first sign you're like, oh no, please, you know, like if you want to do it, then that's good. But if you don't want to do it, then that's probably even better. So I don't want to do this, but I feel like um, it's an expression of obedience to God and, um, and just the gratitude. So I wanted you to know what the attitude of my heart was uh, when I was getting this word from the Lord to, to pray in a tongue. So. Yasara oto sonomonokuyatai. Sharakato sonomoniki. Sharakato ho sopotiata nakadakaya sadoto. Purosurunikiata nakadakara sototo. Ushusu ushu sonamanakai oto potikiata tai sarapoti. Shanahai, shanahai tokoto surubutuya. Yanakai hatato. Yanahai tokopoto sarapenikiata. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing, Julie. Okay? I'm going to take a few moments in prayer, asking the Lord for an interpretation. If you have an interpretation, I'd, I'd like for you to just come up and share it, and then we'll weigh and test that. Let's enter into a time of prayer.
Um, I got more of a picture than words, but um, almost like the glory of the Father in his throne room, kind of like we were singing about Revelation song today, and what that looks like, and how beautiful he is, and how glorious he is, and how majestic he is, and how big and amazing he is, but then a switch also into how he loves us individually and perfectly, and um, how he can do both of those things at the same time. Um, so just a, like a praising of the, of the Father and his glory and his bigness, but then like that individual perfect love that he has for you and for me individually. That's good. That's good. Joel? I saw these words in like gold letters, glory, glory to the name of the Lord. Yeah. And along that same vein and and then there was another part. It's like, as the heavens are high above the earth, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. Mm. And I felt he, he wants to say that to some people. Mm. That's good. That's good. That's good. Sure. Um, what I got was different from, so I don't know how this all works, but God does. Um, and... Um, what I heard at the very beginning was the cry of my heart is for my bride. And we are his bride. It's good. Yeah. Bella? Yeah, mine was similar to the first few. Um, I just heard the Lord is my strength. The Lord is our strength. He will be glorified in every nation and every heart. Mm, 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 mm. Um, the Lord speaks to me in pictures, and I also got a picture, and it was of a deep burgundy velvet ribbon, and um, but it was covered with gold, um, and it was like for our enjoyment um, that the Lord, like just like a Christmas decoration, mm-hmm. only it's for our pleasure, mm-hmm. um, and there was a second part to that that I'm flooding, and I can't remember. Sorry. I'll submit it later okay. if I can think of it. Good. Thank you, Laura. Let's do this. Let's stand. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Also, um, I watched an old golf movie last night, The Legend of Beggar Vance. Mm. It's so good. And um, it, part of that movie was this guy had a specific talent for golf that God put in him. And sometimes um, the gifts that we get get are like, you know, he was a really good golfer, and that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So God is very individual in what he gives us to bring, mm. and um, we need to do it. Love it. Love it. Let's stand. I affirm those. Um, specifically related to worship. Since a lot of worship from Julie as she was speaking. Let's pray. Jesus, as, as, uh, as we began this worship service and as I began this message, we ask that you will continue, continue to show us your glory here in this place. That you continue to give us hearts and minds that long for you. Give us hearts that burn with zeal and hunger for you, Jesus. 
Thank you for the way you've gifted this church family uniquely. And I bless my brothers and sisters. I bless you with courage to speak and to serve in the strength that God provides. I bless you with courage to speak when the Lord is speaking to you for another person in love. I bless you. I bless you that you would be obsessed with a contributor mentality instead of a consumer mentality. I ask, Father, that you will help us as leaders to encourage this heart and to not discourage it through so much platform ministry. Would you give wisdom to the elders of this church? Jesus, we want to look like your bride who you lived and died and were raised for. And Holy Spirit, you are the sanctifying one who makes us like Christ, so we yield to you. And I bless you. I bless you this week with peace. I bless you this week with courage. I bless you that you would find your voice and your gifting this week. And all God's people said, Amen. Church family, you are loved and you are dismissed. Be at peace. Be at peace.